Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today? 50 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, living in Singapore Shanghai Airport for seven months, kudos to Ethiopian for its all-female crew flight. JetBlue goes Amazon for entertainment. A luggage made for wine lovers. The billionaire who earned $170 million worth of air miles. The renaissance of supersonic jets. KLM to use Facebook Messenger for customer service. Putting passengers in a container, Herber strikes again with some insane patent. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 29 to Newark, hi Alex. Newark, New Jersey. Great place, great city. Might be one of my least favorite airports in the entire Western world. Oh, wow. And I will much. tell you why at the end of the show. <laughs> I haven't been in forever. I have like memories almost from childhood or teenage years. So I want to know more about it because I usually fly to GFK. So, well, I hope it's not that bad. <laughs> I'm already apologizing for the, anyone who works at uh, Newark. Who will That's not their the fault. No, 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 I don't blame them. <laughs> so uh, let's start with uh, some fun news uh, and good news to Ethiopian. I'm sure you've read that story yeah. because it was all over Twitter and Facebook in the past week. Ethiopian has uh, dispatched its first ever flight operated by an all-female crew. And yeah. I find that very nice. Yeah, all-female all flight deck crew and, and, and cabin crew. I think it's, it's good. And I think – I don't know if it was a just the way that the schedule rota fell or if they did it on purpose. But, you know, hopefully this becomes a thing where we're not all surprised and delighted by it that it's just – how it works. Yes, it should, that's the way it should be. I, I don't think I've ever flown any, I, I've flown, of course, and I'm sure you've done as well, flights where the pilot was a female, mm. but I'm not sure I've ever flown where the entire flight deck was only comprised of women. I think I've had it twice, but only on short haul, i.e. so two, two flight deck crew for the entire thing. But I believe this was three, wasn't it? Yes, three, correct. And also, you know, with the, all the, no, the news about the shortages of, of pilots, uh, it's actually good news that they do that because it also shows probably to younger women that it's a career path they can undertake. So, Don't you think it's weird that this hasn't happened anywhere else? I'm, I'm wondering if there's a little bit of, you know, too much conservatism and sometimes inertia with it's, Western airlines in particular, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I find it really strange. I'm I, Given the size of some of these airlines, like, you know, just some of the American Airlines, Lufthansa, Air France, that it, that it hasn't happened in any of those airlines before. And it took an African airline to pioneer something that should be normal. But, you know, kudos to Ethiopian and, and congratulations to the crew for... For getting this entry in the history books. Especially when you compare, we're not going to dwell over those, but we compare with some of the stories that we've read. There was a story about, I think it was a flight in Indonesia, where flight attendants were given as prize to passengers because the 
plane was delayed or <laughs> yeah, something? Yeah, I, so... What the hell? Uh, the Lion Air, who don't exactly have a great reputation on any front, they grounded a pilot after he apparently offered a flight attendant to passengers as compensation for a delay on a God. flight. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't even matter if you're joking, you don't do that. So... There's another part to this story, which is a story in and of itself, that says loud moaning noises were also heard from the cockpit throughout the Lion Air flight, with one passenger, and I'm quoting from the Straits Times, a Singapore newspaper here, one passenger left so shocked that he lodged a complaint about improper behavior within the transportation ministry. That that shouldn't happen. I don't get it. God, wow, wow. That's... That shows you know. I just mentioned the term conservatism. This is even worse than that. I don't know how even how to call that. There, 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 there were also like very disturbing stories in China. I'll share in the show notes uh, an article that says that uh, the China's secret to a booming aviation industry: sexism. I'm not going to dwell over it, but uh, you should read it if you're interested. But there was a very disturbing uh, story about a ritual that happens in uh, an airline in China where they actually force uh, female flight attendants into overhead bins. I mean, what the hell are we talking about? So this is the total opposite of what we just read about Ethiopian. I, I just, I'm in disbelief when I read this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, I have been in an overhead cabin. <laughs> it's, what? it's not fun. They can't hold a human body. There's no doubt are about you, that. No, no, repeat that. You, I've been in an overhead yeah, bin? Yeah, absolutely. When? Well, I won't get into the details, but when you... Uh, are in the fledging sl- stages of an airline and you um, have empty airplanes and they don't even have seats in them yet and you have a look around, you can, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not – I mean, this is this is different though. This is a hazing, which is never yeah. acceptable in any type of organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, no, absolutely. irrespective is- of what they were making them do. It's 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 2015 for God's sake. This is unacceptable. Absolutely. Not that we're the bastions of morality here on on layovers, but uh, you know, no, but you we- know, there's a difference between light jokes and some fun and this because this yeah. is really like, you know, I mean, it's bullying. Well, You're that's that's absolute, a better bullying. word. It's not hazing, yeah. it's bullying. Bullying, absolutely. You have the right word there. Uh, but I hope these will, I mean, be contained now that these kind of news are all over the news. I, I hope, at least. Uh, talking about 2015, uh, the two last episodes were about, you know, some terror attacks. Obviously, they're still sad. It's been still going on. Uh, I mean, there's no been any more, especially uh, uh, news related to aviation. Though, though, there's been a, a several that are connected. First, uh, Russia demanded to Lebanon to shut its airspace down because it was doing military drills over Syria. Uh, I mean, we're slated both to possibly go to Beirut very shortly. Uh, Having to ask a country, just shut down your airspace because we're going to run some military drills. What in the name? That's pretty pretty audacious, isn't it? And I think that drills is probably a little bit of a euphemism for we're going to go and drop some... uh, some heavy artillery on these guys, but yeah, they they said they didn't. I don't even know if they asked them to. They demanded that they did. Yeah, uh, they demanded. Yes, yeah. yeah. Just I, to I another sovereign t- nation who's worked really hard to stay out of this, but has been dragged inexorably into it. A friend of mine told me that uh, there were flights that were uh, so airlines 
that were thinking about ways to avoid Lebanon or and to land into Beirut airport with different approaches in order to avoid these kind of issues. It looks like a lot of people, I was having a look on, on sites like Flight Radar 24 and Plane Finder, it looks like a lot of people are approaching from the sea. So they're coming in from the south uh, if they're coming from the Middle East and then they're coming in over, over, the, over the ocean. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. To avoid was, it. I- I went also to, to, to see that because there was this story the other day about uh, a Russian jet that was uh, shot down by Turkish uh, military. Uh, I mean, there's a whole debate, was it in the airspace or not? This is not the point for us. But the thing is, I went afterwards on flight radar, and basically there's almost no one else flying there. There's uh, a few Turkish planes and a few Pegasus, which is the second uh, Turkish uh, airline flying there, but it's, it's totally emptied now. Yeah, it's... It's a it's a it's a strange thing to look at. And you look at airspace over Syria as well. The only airlines that seem to be, frankly, brave enough to fly over Syria is Middle Eastern Airlines out of out of Beirut. Oh, okay, the sky well. is empty otherwise, and for for obvious reasons. Talking about empty skies, you also just found a news. You sent me that just before we started recording about uh, Ukraine. Yeah, this is more tit for tat. It looks like that. Ukraine has banned all Russian planes from flying over its airspace, and it's also um, halted the exports of some Russian gas. Oh well, to the Ukraine, but it's like it's, it's a typical tit for tat. So now you have a yeah. lot of Russian airlines having to take a lot longer routings. But you know, this is the type of political leverage that that happens these days. The uh, U.S. Uh, State Department has just released a global warning to passengers to say, well. Be careful about where to travel since, of course, the attacks in Paris, what happens in Beirut, of course, the Russian airliner that was... Off. When you read, though, the wording, it's like we said, uh, it feels less safe for us. We're talking about air travel, but travel yeah. in general, but there's no way to know exactly what happened. I mean, you take the usual precautions of maybe not going to Syria right now, but I mean, beyond that, would you stop going to Paris now, really? I mean, it's, uh, but but still, it's an official stance from the uh, from the US. Just be very careful when you travel. I don't know how that will impact tourism. Uh, I think it will have an impact for sure, but I don't think it's going to be a precipitous drop in numbers. I think, I hope anyway, I hope. It's just, yeah. I think if, it, it's a prudent thing for the US government to do saying, you know, watch your back. Here are some things that that, that savvy travelers will already know. Don't don't go and join large crowds. Don't get anywhere near protests. That that type of thing that we all know that a first time traveler may may not know. So reinforcing those tips is is probably not a bad idea. The other uh, in the lineage of other attacks, it was a hotel that was taken hostage in Mali, in Bamako. And the reason I mentioned this is that during that hostage situation, actually the crew a crew of Air France was stuck in the hotel. And since then, the unions uh, in France, uh, the staff, the crew uh, unions, have called for uh, better safety measures for their staff when they travel around the world, saying that current Air France security measures are not enough. Mm. Again, it's really difficult. At the same time, after the the, the French attacks, they, they caught uh, some people in a flat in Paris, and one of the people there had a belt of explosives. Uh, I think he... Uh, blew himself up uh, right in front of the police. The matter of the fact is that apparently that was supposed to happen at Charles de Gaulle. It, it's a potential target for terrorist, terrorist attacks. At the same time, French press uh, relates that uh, military operations have been undergoing at uh, Charles de Gaulle, at the major of Paris airport, 
to check all you know handling staff they revoked the license of 10 of them apparently after finding some you know doubtful documents doubtful propaganda in their lockers uh, and they said that since uh, the Charlie Hebdo uh, attacks back in January they had refused more than 50 applications on, on that basis. So here I'm not talking about fear mongering because probably they're going the extra mile of making sure that someone, you know, they're so afraid of something happening. But like we said in the last episode, there's a new reality that suddenly downs on us when there was air travel. I don't know where we'll go with all this, honestly. No, I don't know either. I think it's an impossible problem to solve. And it's a, it's sad more than, I mean, pe- people have died and that's a tragedy, but the, on, a, on a hugely personal level, they're ruining something that I love. Yes, I mean, absolutely. And that, yeah, me too. That's not their intention, obviously, but it's 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 a shame. It's a it's a shame more than anything. Yeah, there was also the factory of Airbus near Toulouse had to be evacuated. There was a bomb threat in a Turkish plane that had to be rerouted. There was another bomb threat in a Singapore airline plane that also had to be rerouted. I think it was going to San Francisco. Coincidentally, the chairman of Singapore was on that flight. That's correct. I mean, <laughs> this type of stuff is going to happen. When you're in a, a kind of state like this, you're going to have some 16-year-old jerk on social media do something that they think is hilarious, but then causes a plane to be rerouted. It's it's going to happen, but they can't not take them seriously, given everything that's happening at the moment. But talking about taking something seriously, the, the, the news you share with me about some text which said dynamite, what yeah. is that about? So this is, a, this is actually a follow-up from the story that we had last episode about these uh, these four folks that were removed from a Spirit Airlines plane that was headed for Chicago. This, apparently, someone saw the word dynamite B, and then BLR, which is uh, the airport code for uh, an airport in India. Uh, it turns out there wasn't, and the poor person was just watching the news on their phone God. while they were waiting for this delayed flight to take off. There was no sign of this message. The... The person voluntarily said, look at my phone, find, you know, do whatever you want. Um, a guilty person is not going to do that. But they were still removed from the, from the airplane. Along with, there was another story at Newark, the airport recovering this week. About someone who was forced off a plane as well, right? Yeah, this is bad. Uh, this, this lady uh, who is a, a Muslim American, so she's an American citizen. As, as she was going through security, she was, uh, went through extreme questioning was then allowed to get onto the plane, but then removed by an FBI agent and, and interrogated what? for two and a half hours. Um, <sighs> and all because they said her quote unquote crime was she had what appeared to them to be a one-way ticket. That was that was the rationale for pulling her off the plane. It turns out that she had separate PNRs. That happens all the time, um, meaning she had mm-hmm. booked the flights, the return flight separately. She was able to then immediately produce this document going, uh, here's my return flight. It's just on a different. It's just on a different ticket. This lady is edu- uh, <laughs> went to Stanford University. She's a Fulbright Scholar and a contributing editor at the new in the New Inquiry. That that doesn't mean she couldn't be, you know, an extremist. But I think that they just they kind of projected all of this fear onto this poor woman who was just going on vacation. It's. <laughs> Again, like I said, also in the last episode, sometimes that's unfair. You're you're lucky to be white because you're not gonna be 
under such scrutiny. Yeah. But, I mean, well, oh well. Well, we'll we'll try not to cover all always these news in every episode because these are not really uh, fun news to cover. But I mean, I hope these type of fears and this type of projections, as the words you're using, are are going to dwindle soon. Because honestly, that we cannot go on like that. No. Uh, so going on to lighter news, we said when we um, talked about Singapore Shangi, I'm actually flying there next week, that it was probably the best airport in the world. Proof, uh, or somewhat uh, a proof, there's this couple, a uh, boyfriend and a girlfriend, they've been living within Shangi Airport for the past seven months. How? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I, I, I'm saying somewhat because... I don't know their economical situation. We know that Singapore is an ex- a very expensive city. The, the I think the guy is a part-time handler at the airport, uh, so he works there. So he goes work to work, and then he comes back, and they live off cafes and all the nice areas. And <laughs> I think he says, you know, uh, there's free internet, free electricity, and free water. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to argue with. So apparently, so and the authorities have no. Uh, they don't seem to have any authority to remove them. Plus, again, I, I think if they don't disturb anyone, it's a 24-7 airport, so why not? Yeah. But it, I, it tends to show you that, you know, it's a very good airport to do layovers because if you stay seven months there, it must be actually pretty comfortable. I mean, I don't, I, we don't know the entire story, but I found that story kind of funny. Uh, still talking about uh, Asia, but this time coming to London, apparently uh, Cathay is coming back to uh, Gatwick. So uh, when I first started flying Gatwick, when I moved to Hong Kong as a kid in 1989, that's the only place they flew to. And then they got more slots at Heathrow and eventually stopped flying to Gatwick in 1993. But because the Heathrow expansion is taking so long, and they have aspirations now, they have the A350 to not only add new destinations, but to increase frequency on existing destinations, London being one of them, they have no choice but to look at Gatwick as a, a destination now. And, I'm, you know, Gatwick is a lot of stick. I like Gatwick Airport. I think it's great. And I think that maybe that's just because it's convenient for me. But the fact oh. that they're having to go and look at this as an option is just another kind of argument towards hurry up and make a decision about the airport because while the rest of the world accelerates past London as an infrastructure hub. Absolutely. There are all other major airlines. I mean, Emirates has operations in both airports, but there are other airlines that fly out from, from Gatwick. So for the people who don't live in the in the UK, it's not as if Gatwick is an exclusively low-cost No, airport. not at all. There are other, I think US Airways used to fly out from there. I mean, now they're gone, obviously, because the brand is, has disappeared. But I know that some other airlines fly from there. And it's a solid airport. For me, it's a bit, I prefer Ether just because I live closer to it. Yeah. Honestly, like you prefer Gatwick because you live closer to it. Still in Europe, uh, we talked uh, last episode about that the Loch Ness monster, which keeps appearing and reappearing and then disappearing, which is, of course, a big debate between uh, the West and the three uh, carriers in the Middle East. <laughs> so last episode was about the US, but this time it's Europe. So uh, first, France and Germany are calling for the European Union to ensure fair competition. So basically, they're calling for the European to actually look at potential subsidies the same way the US is doing. We said also many times, including in the last episode, that both Air France, especially now after the attacks, and and Lufthansa, especially now after the strikes, are suffering a lot. Obviously, it seems that they have to fight on every front and find ways to ensure their routes. And you found that there's Lufthansa is canceling a route because apparently of one of these carriers. Yeah, I can't understand the logic in this unless they're completely re-evaluating their Middle East strategy. 
Lufthansa is suspending its Munich Dubai service from April. They currently have, uh, I think it's an A330, yeah, A330 uh, doing that once a day. On the flip side, Emirates has said that they are going to start a third daily Dubai wow. Munich. So they're doing, they have, the, they feel like there's an, an audience there for three times a day, whereas Lufthansa have said, that it doesn't uh, doesn't see it as, as as feasible. So I don't really understand what's going on there. Uh, to be honest, it's probably also a, a pricing thing here because I'm about to fly Emirates on multiple segments. Uh, as I just told you, I'm going to Singapore, then to Beirut, then to Dubai, then back here to London. And I was I'm not exclusive to Emirates. I was trying to find other routes, and I was trying to fly you know Singapore, and I tried to fly Lufthansa because I have status with them. I mean, their Emirates is just unbeatable. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you can throw that that type of capacity at it, it's understandable. I think from what I understand, the, the Lufthansa group in general is pulling back from the Gulf hubs broadly. So they've, um, Austrian Airlines, which is part of the Lufthansa group, have cut their Dubai service from Vienna. So this this looks like a strategic move on their part. But, you know, the, the, the other, the ME3 are going to fill that vacuum very, very quickly. Uh, especially, yeah, especially the other two ones are usually following the lead of Emirates. Emirates is the one that actually thinks about the economic model, yeah. and makes the routes, and usually you see that the other one. It, it reminds me, and I know the analogy is not perfect, but I had met the owner of a country franchise for Burger King, and he told me that, oh, my policy about where I put my shops, I wait for McDonald's to put one and I put one next to it. It sometimes <laughs> looks like Qatar and Etihad are a bit doing the same thing. Maybe I'm wrong. And if anyone from Qatar and Etihad wants to chime in, please just join the show. We'll be happy to talk to you. Still in that debate in the US, uh, there's Delta. And I didn't know that. You found that piece of news. Delta had a ticketing agreement with Emirates. They had a ticketing agreement with Emirates, which they just severed with one day's notice. Wow. So I don't know what that makes for people that have tickets already issued. I'm sure it doesn't really matter, but they just they just decided to turn it off. It, given that Delta has been such a vocal opponent of the ME3, in particular Emirates, this is not surprising. What is surprising is how quickly or how with, without such little notice they did it. But I don't, I can't really see the, you know, who was benefiting more from this? Was it was it Delta getting inbound traffic from, from Emirates? Probably not. Or was it Emirates getting inbound traffic from Delta? Either way, I can't imagine that it's there's much love lost in that little relationship. No, but still, if you, if you think about without everything that happens behind the scenes in all this debate, it makes sense for Emirates and for any other airline, actually, that is not American to have a local partner to then, oh, I fly to one big city and I want to commute to a, little, uh, a smaller one. Yeah. You know, you need a feeder route. So it's, um, I mean, well, we'll see. Well, this story will never end. No. It looks like it. It's been almost a year we've been recording and almost in every episode we have to talk about it. And now Qatar, so we just mentioned Qatar, is set to announce a historic announcement. Literally, that's exactly what, what? they said. What I really, that? really want to know what this means. So apparently on December 9th, Qatar Airways is going to make a announcement in New York that will usher in a historic moment in American aviation. <laughs> now, I, what the hell does that mean? We we have a theory. I'll let you run. So away. we have a theory, and there's of course the message boards have been running rampant. Everything from they're gonna they're gonna invest a bunch in airline X, JetBlue being apparently the the sweetheart 
but others saying Delta, which would be pretty funny oh, and, wow. and hugely unlikely. A strategic alliance with American Airlines. And let's remember that American Airlines are not only one world partner, but they are also the least vocal of the big U.S. airlines in this Absolutely. whole debate. Absolutely. My theory is, and it's benign at best, uh, is that they will operate the A350 to New York and be, as a result, <laughs> the first airline to operate the A350 in or out of the U.S. We'll that is certainly not a historic moment in American aviation, <laughs> but it does. It I think it, you know. The the CEO of Qatar uh, Al Becker that he he does have a uh, a penchant for hyperbole and yes, this would uh, <laughs> this would slot right in there with that so uh, I guess let's see December 9th, that's uh, from when we we're recording about two weeks so in an episode or two we will we will know the mystery will be revealed uh, we talked last episode a lot about uh, IFE uh, and. We talked about Netflix several episodes ago. That was we talked about the iPad that was given to me in Aristana. Yeah, last, uh, that was cool. Time. And we always forget about the, that that one. And JetBlue has just announced that it will uh, premiere Amazon Video directly on its flights. It's really interesting that airlines and the U.S. seems to be taking the lead with this are partnering with content providers, not just to provide the content, obviously, but also as a kind of brand partnership exercise so they get access mm -hmm. to each other's customer base so virgin america did it with uh netflix and spotify JetBlue are doing it with amazon both really really smart ways of, uh, of doing it apparently it will be very similar if not completely similar to the experience you can have if you're on amazon prime thus uh, an amazon video uh, you can rent or purchase movies exact same way you would do on your ipad or on your iphone on your android tablet it's, it's going to be the exact same experience, but on the... So it's not going to be an iPad or it's not going to be a, any tablet. It's just going to be the same screen you have in front of you and you'll be able to rent it. So it's not going to be free movies. You still have to... They don't, you know, they don't uh, subsidize the Amazon Prime right. uh, content. It's well, clever. Why not? It's clever. Uh, if anyone from Amazon listens, by the way, guys, why can't I put any movies offline on my laptop. I have to use my iPad or my iPhone. I That's strange, that. so, isn't it? <laughs> so if you could actually fix that, I would, I would love you even more. And still talking about IFE, you're about to fly potentially Emirates, right? No, definitely. I'm flying Emirates on Sunday. Nice. You're going yes, to Dubai. So you'll finally Dubai. be able to understand why I love the IFE of Emirates so much. There are so, so many hours and dozens of hours of content. Also, listen to the podcast they have having oh, interviews yes. they're always very good yeah, this it's, is, it's an overnight it's, flight and i should be sleeping but i'm not going to <laughs> it's actually very easy because that's the default channel because you know that's where i found sir tim clark and others it's, it can be for airliners like us it's actually pretty pretty fun uh, so i was lucky to be to, to fly with emirates on premium both in business i was upgraded a few times in first I always found the first class screen already massive, but apparently it's going to get even more massive. This is unbelievable. I mean, they're just, as I said to you when I sent you this article, they're just pulling away in the IFE race. So this is on the wonderful uh, Design Air website. Emirates have just announced that their new 777-300s and their A380, so it doesn't sound like this will be introduced through retrofit. They'll have this new IFE screen and technology. So... 
4,300 hours of entertainment. That's that's half a year of nonstop watching. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. BA, I hope you're listening to this. That's that's the duration of the Avengers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or it feels like it. Zing! <laughs> but they're increasing the size of the screens in all cabins to unprecedented sizes. So in first class, it will be 32 inches. I cannot believe that. I don't believe that. Even in economy, it's 13 inches. And you're like, okay. Which that is, is really good, by the think way. Think about really the size of your laptop screen. If you've got a MacBook Air, 13 inch, that's how big the economy class screen is. And and Johnny, uh, who, who does the the, uh, the design, design yeah. Yeah. he's got some amazing photos on his site, which you should check out, of a flight attendant holding one of the screens in economy. And it really shows you how huge it is. You just mentioned retrofit. It seems to me that the, the, the product is very similar all across the board, mm. uh, contrary to Turkish we talked about last episode. But it seems that you know they do iterations on every every time they order a new batch of planes, yeah. and they don't retrofit. So I've been experiencing, if you go to the older 777s, you'll feel like you have a very similar experience, but not fully. Mm. So, But overall, in the latest I've tried, it's also very snappy when you the touch screen, you press it, it actually goes very fast. So you probably you probably enjoy it. I hope pretty amazing. you get one of the latest one. I mean, it would be the A380, right? So the A380, yeah. Yeah. So the, that you'll another thing they're adding, which is really interesting, is just an aside in this article, is microfiber optic carpet, which apparently in the first class cabin, which apparently reduces the mm. effects of jet lag. So I guess it's to complement oh, wow. uh, the lighting they have above you to have the lighting below you as well. So I don't really know what that means. I'd be very interested to see how it actually turns out. <laughs> uh, so United, it's the airline we sometimes criticize, but I like where they're coming as an ID. They said they will let travelers trade miles for Wi-Fi. Why nobody thought about that before? Or maybe someone did and I, I wasn't aware. But I think instead of paying your five bucks, ten bucks, whichever, if you have all those air miles, why not use them to actually yeah, buy yeah, Wi-Fi? Quite potentially, I, I, you, I would want to do the math on them first and see what the dollar value of those miles was and how much it cost to accrue them. Because if I'm paying like four hundred and fifty dollars for an hour of Wi-Fi because I haven't done the math on my miles, then something's not right there. But yeah, not not a bad idea at all. But if you're like the next guy, you won't have that problem because so he, this is Chinese billionaire who just bought uh, Modigliani, so it's a very famous painter, for $170 million. He put that on his Amex black card. Why? Because he wanted air miles. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's the conversion rate for that. <laughs> wow. You'd think that a dude that can buy a $170 million painting doesn't really need air miles? Yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> So you'd be able to buy a lot of Wi-Fi or a lot of yeah. Amazon movies or what's not. I mean, honestly. Jeez. <laughs> That's cool. That's the kind of thing I would do if I had that money. <laughs> <laughs> to track your miles, uh, we use, Alex and myself, a lot of different tools. One is pretty fun. It's not always accurate, but I really like it. It's called jetlovers.com. We mentioned it already a few times in the show. They just uh, iterated a new version. Uh, so it's still it's not an app. It's a website. It's also mobile friendly. When it uh, automatically tracks, you, you can log in with uh, Foursquare, uh, Twitter, or Facebook. 
it actually tracks your flights and does like nice infographics of where you've been in the world. What they've done now, they've actually also recognized each flight. So now you get the logo of the airline, cool. the, the picture of the actual aircraft. So if you, because, you know, there's a database of, oh, the aircraft number, registration number was thus. So they will find the picture, I think, on airliners and put it there. So you have a, a very fun database to look at your stuff. For those who are interested, actually, for the fun of it, I opened a layover is Jet Lover's account, which nice. basically every episode has its own. And we've been all around the world already, actually. It's pretty pretty nice. I'll put the link in the show notes for people to see. <laughs> anyway, if you want to try it, uh, it's I, I like it. I find it fun. And you can also compete with a leaderboard with other friends. Who is actually, uh, that's just uh, asking yeah. for trouble. <laughs> Um, on a more serious tone, uh, we know that Google is more and more moving into travel. We mentioned many times Google Flight, which is one of our favorite tools. Google Flight doesn't allow you to book uh, yet. It actually drives you to third party. We know they have this agreement uh, in the U.S. They cannot actually do that. But if you look at the science of what they do with hotels, they actually started off offering direct booking hotels. I was actually looking for a hotel in Singapore, and I was using you know Google Maps to find where it is in Singapore. And on the column on the left-hand side, I could see a booking options. That's, yeah. for me, that is kind of new. Yeah, they're but, doing all kinds of stuff with that, aren't they? Yeah, so meaning for me, they will, as soon as October 2016 arrives, they might actually start allowing people to yeah. do flights directly. I think they're clearly going to do that. They're using all this stuff to test in, in search results, in, in Gmail, and Google Calendar integrations, and in Google Maps integrations. It's just a matter of time before you can just one-click buy with all of this stuff. But the industry is very wary of the As they should in be. Because it's like suddenly, you know, there's this halo effect and you do everything on Google and the industry. We've heard, for instance, you remember that Lufthansa now actually punishes you if you buy tickets outside of its own website because basically they want to avoid that to happen. Yeah. And... All the competition is actually always being a bit vocal about, oh, if you look for something on Google, always Google will put its own results first. And apparently uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor have been very vocal because they've been buried lately. And Google said that, oh, sorry, that was a bug. Do you believe that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think it was a test. I think it was a test to see how it worked. And then, you know, this is speculation on my part, but I think it's, you know, just a way for them to see how this is all going to pan out when October 2016 comes around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll put some links in the show notes uh, about this. The industry that is wary about that locking. Also, some uh, a report that shows that airlines, like I said before, Lufthansa is trying to kind of rein in and say, you know what, do it with ourselves. And actually, the good thing with that, to be honest, the, all, the one good thing is that is that it forces airlines to iterate on their own websites yes. to make a better experience at, at booking. I, I, uh, the only thing that sucks about it is that it means that price comparison, comparison is becomes, really yeah. difficult. Though, though you know, the, so some of the guys like uh, Hipmunk, which, you know, they drive you elsewhere, will probably still have the data, only that the actual booking will have to be made on the, the airline website. That would be probably the... the the way that both airlines would win and the yeah. OTAs would win. As long as, as long as airlines still see value in that, in that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Very quickly, two small websites I found uh, concerning, you know, because we sometimes cover apps and websites. One is called Travel Revel. Have you seen it? Alex? No, I haven't heard of that. So uh, it's one of the, again, one of these tools, they all try to do the same thing, uh, make your life, uh, your booking life much easier. This one, you select a route, uh, you select your preference, you sign in with email or, or your social media account, 
Uh, then you add your information in. Then what they do in the background, they monitor the price. And when they think that the price is as low as possible, they hit back at you and say, now is the time to actually book. Do you want the flight or not? Clever. I think that's what I say. I haven't tried it, so I don't know what the result is. We know that Alex and you, me and you, we are a bit. Uh, <clears throat> that that uh, is the one thing, though. It's it's monitoring f- price fluctuations that you just can't do. You're not going to go back and check all the time. And those sites like uh, uh, Adioso and- Kayak that that monitor them for you are really really valuable. So. But they, the thing they do, because I, I was monitoring for my upcoming flights, so I'm monitoring some price, they do it a daily check. They send you a daily email. This is not at the time. This is like oh, every day at the same time they say, okay, the flight is now $8 less than yesterday. This, and I, I assume that's the case, will actually tell you right now is when it's the lowest. And be quick because maybe in the, within the next two hours, the price will actually increase again. I don't know. I hope it's that. Hmm. The uh, the other the other site that is very early, so you cannot use it yet. It's called Timejet, and I like the ID. Is like you know sometimes you want to offer a gift to someone, but you I will not. Uh, sorry, Alex, I love you a lot, but I'm not going to offer you the residence in Etihad for your 40th birthday. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I've started opening a fund for you. But by the time you turn 40, I still won't have enough money there. But that one is it, it's clever. I don't know if there's a business model or not, but it says. You could offer hours of flights. You could divide up and, I guess, you know, uh, crowdsource a flight with other people. I, do you think there's a case for that? I'm still not 100% clear on what, how they do it and how it works. Their, their website is suitably vague. It's beautiful, but it's very vague. Yeah, it's very early to actually. Uh, yeah, may, maybe, maybe I'll check them back in about six months and see if I understand it a little bit better. But right now, I'm not sure. And we had a question. It's actually pretty similar to what uh, we just said about sharing hours. This time is about, and I found it interesting. So there's a person called Edwin. I don't have his last name. He's not on Twitter, apparently. Uh, through email, he sent this. He said, I would like to know what are some of the airlines regulation if that prevents people on the same flight from sharing their luggage weight? Well, I know that if you are not on the same reservation or not traveling together, it is a strict no-no. Okay. Um, even if you are on the same flight. Do you think it's due to regulation or just because it's too hard to monitor? It's security. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do know, though, that if you're traveling as a group, then it doesn't really matter as long as the bags are under the, the weight that's specified by the airline. So when I travel with my – my kids get a bag allowance. Their suitcase is not going to be as heavy as mine simply by the fact that they're a quarter of the size of me. Um <laughs> So that's that's fine, but if you say to someone, um, "Can you take my bags for me?" They, you will find yourself in an FBI holding cell pretty quickly. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I like the ID, and but of course there's security, but there's also probably a problem of like you know it's much easier to actually simply individually check that. And like you said, as a group, if you're a couple, if you're a family, they'll say, okay, as long as you don't, I think the, the maximum allowed weight for any luggage is 32 kilos, because then you actually can create strains for the poor guys actually handling the, the luggages in the, in, the, in the background. Yeah, I mean, technology could theoretically allow it, but it's, you know, so you arrive first at the, air, at the aircraft. So what do you do? Do you offer your weight? I don't know how it would actually practically be possible to put that in place. I like the idea, though, because uh, it could actually sometimes help people that have extra luggage where I have nothing. I only have a carry-on. Yeah. Uh, but talking about carry-on, it's not exactly a carry-on. So you and me have been raving against the smart carry-ons and the batteries and uh, laptop stands and all this. But this you will love. 
a carry-on made especially to carry wine. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. If you're traveling, uh, if you're traveling within the EU, it's fine. If you're traveling anywhere else, you can only bring two bottles of wine back into the UK anyway. So, uh, true, <laughs> true. It's, a, it's it's called a Vingard Valise. It's uh, it costs two hundred thirty dollars. It's actually made of, I guess, some kind of foam that takes the shape of the bottles. So you can put, according to what I see, twelve bottles in it. Why not? If, you're, mean, t- if you're if you're in the wine business or or anything where you need to transport wine. You know, in 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 good conditions, i.e., you're about to drink it. This thing is going to be huge with with folks like that. It's niche, but I'm sure they know it's niche. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to buy it because plus, you'd better <clears throat> you'd better hide your bottles better <laughs> rather than have a suitcase made for bottles. Yeah. You bring extra. You mentioned last episode that one of your favorite ways nowadays to talk to customer service was Twitter. Uh, and I just found out that KLM is about to introduce uh, uh, Facebook Messenger as a way to communicate with passengers. It's pretty nice. smart. KLM are really, really out uh, out in front of the pack for this type of thing, aren't they? Social yeah. media innovation—they're really impressive. And you know, instead of uh, instead of asking you for your mobile number, they could actually just ask you for your messenger. So basically, they could also do reminders through it, etc. Which is less of a cost for them because, yes. have, of course, for you, you you need to have data. So that's where the kind of the balance goes. But I think it's pretty interesting. I think that will drive Facebook is betting a lot on Messenger as a its own platform. So I think that will grow pretty fast. I, I do too. I do too. I love the idea. I love using those chats. As long as the person at the end of the chat has the ability or authority to make to resolve problems and not just sort of placate you, then long may this continue. And now Alex, the lover of crazy patents after the seats that stack on top of each other, there's a new Airbus patent that doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. So I want you to explain me what the heck is this? I'm going to try, but I don't think I can. I want someone from Airbus to come on the show and explain to me what the hell they're doing. Why are all these weird <laughs> patents? Anyway, this one in the aptly titled Gizmodo article, Airbus Crazy Patent Watch. This is a detachable cabin. So this was filed back uh, in 2013, but approved uh, just a few days ago. They want to improve the turnaround time for planes. So instead of trying to get everybody off, and all their baggage. They simply have a detachable passenger and baggage compartment, which they remove <laughs> and put another one in that's loaded with people who are ready to go. It's like having <laughs> like, a, like a shipping container on the back exactly. of a on the back of a big rig, right? <laughs> like, okay, you can see in theory how this would work. You know, you just you just however they figured out like a crane or something lifts it off. Puts it on. Everybody gets out into a into a pre-constructed um, terminal, and meanwhile, another one where everybody's loaded in and strapped down, bags loaded beforehand. <laughs> clunk, and the plane's back in the air. But uh, <laughs> no, come on, that's that's not going to fly. But there's no way. I mean, you have to rethink airports. You have to make. I mean, do I want to be craned into a, a, my final plane? I, I come on. I don't. I, I don't. Uh... You you said you said <laughs> last last time we talked about patents. You said that it's all in the details, right? Yeah. I don't know what is the detail here because I don't see what they could make out of a crane that picks up something from the top lo- of a plane. I love it. I love it. this one. Is like so crazy that it's making me laugh. So uh, 
I just don't get it. So let's uh, stay in crazy a little bit before we move on to Newark. Uh, there's been a, a flurry of news about supersonic jets. For a long time, we thought, okay, the Concorde is dead. We'll never see anything else. Then there was this foundation that said, okay, we're going to make one Concorde fly, mm. maybe, and they have the money to try. But now there seems to be actual investments by many stakeholders into various projects, actual supersonic yeah, projects. It's, so, it's strange. You're right. We sort of wrote it off saying, oh, well, no supersonic flight in our lifetime. But you're right. In the last month or so, there's been this flurry of activity. A while ago, this company, uh, Arion, I think that's how you pronounce it, said, oh, we're going to create a supersonic business jet. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Good luck with that. Uh, two weeks ago or a week ago, FlexJet, who are maybe the largest um, private jet company in the world, have ordered 20 of them. For $2.4 billion. And apparently the first uh, delivery will happen in 2023, which is only eight years from now. And the first flight uh, two years before that. So they must have been really convinced that this is a reality for them to say, yeah, let's, they are firm orders. We might see a supersonic jet before we might see a revision of the A380. I cannot believe that. That's (laughs) unbelievable, isn't it? So it's, they would use it over for, for, Transoceanic flights, so they can do sonic booms, and also in China, which apparently doesn't have restrictions on sonic booms. This is it'll only carry twelve passengers. It'll go at one point five, which is slower than Concorde, but, but still, it's amazing. really fast. And then another, the UK government that has public money is investing okay, a much lower amount, uh, sixty million pounds in Skylon. I think that's how you pronounce it. We could theoretically fly from London to Sydney in four hours. Yeah, and this is really another interesting one. So separate company, different type of engine that was designed in the UK called Reaction Engines. And they've given this been given this sixty million pound grant to turn it into a reality. So it's uh it's pretty pretty exciting that that's all of a sudden supersonic travel doesn't seem so impossible anymore. And finally there's Airbus. Uh, it's nicknamed the son of Concord. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So why this not, is why this, not the daughter, by the way. But it, this it is the Arion. This, so this is this is the one that we just talked about. That oh, the I thought it was a different one. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No, it's the same one. But it's interesting because since that article first came out, there's this new this news that that Airbus are partnering with them. So this is the real deal. This is I see. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Really, really interesting. So Airbus are doing a lot of the the, the heavy lifting, and then. Arion will actually assemble it from what I from what I understand. So r- exciting. One of the destinations that uh, the uh, Concorde was flying to was obviously New York. I don't think it ever flew to New- Newark. It was flying to JFK. So, but Newark, at the beginning of the show, you said that it's not really your favorite airport. It I'm could not even a fan. be your worst. Why? I, uh, it's just, it's perpetually under construction. It has the worst security uh, procedures I've ever endured. There's the lines are forever. I mean, they're thorough. They're nice people. Or, you know, I'm not like I said earlier. This isn't about the people. In terms of where it is, if you're on the, um, you know, in the meatpacking district or Chelsea or Soho or anywhere like that, basically on the 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 southwest side of Manhattan, it's way easier to get to than JFK. Uh, it's it's really not that bad at all. Oh, yeah, and you can you can take the the air train, I think it's called, and or of course a cab. And, you can take uh, the air train. There's there's the there's the normal uh, kind of overland train service that gets there as well, which is pretty good from Penn Station. Uh, do I mean Penn Station? I yeah, Penn Station. I think the air train goes to Penn Station. Yeah, uh, and that's I'm just sure. a normal that's just a normal you know, kind of train. 
Um, and then they have a fl- just like JFK. There's a flat rate taxi service, but it's sixty ju- bucks. Yeah, it's just a, it's such a dingy, horrible <laughs> airport. I've had the misfortune of sleeping there. I had a, oh. a, a flight that got in at like uh, eleven thirty from London. Oh, so I- tell us about that because our question is always: Is it a good airport for layover? <laughs> so what was your experience? Which terminal was it? Can you remember? Uh, I don't remember. So it, I was flying. I flew in on Virgin Atlantic and flew out on on. Uh, United to San, on, a, on a transcon to San Francisco, and you, I had to go out of, you know, obviously through immigration and out airside, uh, and then I had to wait for security to open the next, oh, wow. you know, a few hours later, and then find a seat to sleep in for about six hours while they clean the airport. I, I think the airport, while it stays open, most of the shops, if not all the shops, are closed between eleven p.m. and six a.m. There's basically there's nothing to there's do. There's nothing to do. So there was there's one a, there or are, two that were like a Burger King maybe was open and a few other vending machines. And again, the people there are nice, but it's, the airport is either way too hot or way too cold. I don't know how they. I think they may even do it on purpose. But <laughs> the one and the taxi times are awful. It's, and I think Uber is prevented to arrive there. I, yep. I'm not sure because yeah, I, you confirmed that because that's what I read. I read a lot of people saying that if you want an Uber, you have to kind of trick it. You're gonna walk a little bit outside or in the parking lot or something. That's where you're gonna find your Uber. The, even the Virgin Atlantic Lounge, and I, this is such a first world problem, was like in a windowless box. I think that they've moved it. I haven't <laughs> been. I haven't been there since. But that's how I remember it. Is this kind of this weird windowless box? Um, to, be, to, to be to be fair, before you go to be to, to say the worst, it's the only airport in New York that has its own hotel. Yes, because the it's, others don't. So at least there's that. I've never tried the hotel, but at least there's an airport. Hotel. And it was closed for repairs when I when I was there, <laughs> of which course. is like because like I said it's always under construction. I was I wasn't going to say the worst. I was going to say the one redeeming feature of Newark is if you're flying to the UK uh, or anywhere, I guess, um, but in that direction at night. When you take off, you get the most stunning views of Manhattan. It's Just true. breathtaking because of the departing traffic uh, from LaGuardia and JFK. You take off and then you have to level out very, very low. So you're you're kind of flying alongside Manhattan at reasonably low altitude for a long time, and it's it's breathtaking views. But in terms of con- location, super convenient for the right side or the the correct side of Manhattan and for that view. Amazing. But everything else, oh boy. <laughs> well, and at least if you get stuck, uh, get stuck in the terminal C. I think it's a newer one. I'm not sure, but it has a few good steakhouses. So at least there's decent food compared to the others. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that's uh, probably my only advice. But the rest, it, it's not a very enthralling airport. It, 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 oh, but by, by the way, the name, the official name now is Liberty Newark. I think mm. because they changed it after 9/11. Uh, but yeah, it's true that, you know, there's this, uh, I think we've heard about LaGuardia. We know that something is brewing in JFK. I hope that they also think about uh, Newark. Uh, Newark not- is in New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey so exactly. I know, of, which yeah. is why. Yeah, because it comes to, it's the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So it may, there may be something there. Anyway, so not your favorite airport. No. And again, not because of the people. I've actually had very positive experiences with the people who work there. So thank you for making a bad situation slightly better. Well, on that, uh, we'll be flying the other way ourselves. So uh, we see everyone at the next episode, whatever that is, uh, probably within the next 10 to 15 days, yeah, depending sorry. on how our travels go. But we cannot record To bring you road. all of this uh, 
firsthand experience, we actually have to get out there and fly from time to time. So, <laughs> so to field research, yeah. have safe travels. <laughs> Take care. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.